You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. apostolic friends coming from long distances away. And whenever we have that happen, I like to take the opportunity to talk about the apostolic and the reason why we do this. And as I was prepping for it this week, I actually came across a passage in Romans that doesn't really talk about the apostolic at all. Um, The whole book of Romans is Paul writing a letter to the church that's been planted there, and he's laying foundations because he's he's not really ever going to be able to go. He really wants to, but it's not going to be able to happen. And he wants them to start off well. And at the end of this letter, he actually says, and by the way, after you read this, can you say hi to, and he lists 26 different people in a very, like, 10 verses, and just all, like, name after name after name after name, and it feels like reading a lineage, and it can feel tedious, and half of them we don't know how to pronounce, but as going through it, it just struck me, these are people he knows, They're not just a list of leaders that happen to be there. They're people that he worked with. They're his friends. They're his family. They've done life together. They've gone through the thick and thin of it together. There's relationship there. Relationship that happened long before the church was planted in Rome. And that's what it's about. It's about these long-standing relationships, this closeness, this actually liking one another. We're not just bringing people in because they're really good speakers, even though they're really good speakers. But that's not why we ask them to come here. We ask them to come here because of the relationships that have been established, that we know them, that we are in agreement with each other, that we're in unity in what Christ is doing around the world together. And so when we bring people in, and when I ask them to come up, we're not just inviting people, we're inviting our friends. So I'm going to invite my good friend Rachel. She's going to come up and she's going to say hi. Good morning, y'all. I'm, I'm, a, I'm California. I'm a California girl born, but we moved to Texas 16 years ago, and I love Texas, so I had to welcome you with my y'all. <laughs> it's wonderful to be here this morning. Um, we've, we've come, Joe, in first service said many, 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 many years, and I said, okay, pipe it down on the many, 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 many years. You're making us look old here, Joe, uh, but we've come for many years. So many of you are family to us, and it is a privilege to be here this morning, to, to be loved by you, to express love to you, you mean, uh, you mean a ton to us. So we're honored to be here. This place is really wonderful. Jesus is here. We are so proud of this leadership team, Joe and Emily, the eldership team, their children, so many of you leaders. You, you are just doing a phenomenal job making much of Jesus. God's presence is here. Worship was outstanding. Um, there really is no better place to be on a Sunday than with the people of God, worshiping him, honoring him, reminding, being reminded by God who he is. Hey, this is who I am, reminding each other of who God is, and then taking it out into the world. So you guys, wow, it's been just a a wonderful morning, God's presence and worship. And um, thank you for having us. Thank you for opening your hearts to us. We love being here. And I hope I get to meet some of you you newer faces. All right, I'm going to bring up Mr. Brian Barr. I'm going to pray for him. Lord, we thank you for Brian. And we thank you for the gifts that you've bestowed upon him, Lord. We thank you for this message that you prepared in his heart. We just ask that you prepare our hearts and our minds to receive everything that you have through this time this morning. Amen. 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 It's so great to be here. Um, so many uh, familiar faces, which warms my heart. And then so many new faces, which also warms my heart. I'm glad that this church is doing so well and you guys are continuing to thrive. Uh, I think it's been a little over two years. Uh, what's that? Two years, two years this week. Awesome. Are we like part of the anniversary celebration? <laughs> Happy anniversary! <laughs> uh, but it is so great to see Joe and Emily and the rest of the elders doing so well, leading so well. It's so great to see the church doing well. We celebrate. We commend you for doing so well. Uh, this church is healthy. This church is thriving. And it's, uh, it's a mark of God's faithfulness to you guys, but uh, also you responding to him in obedience. So I commend you. 
Uh, my parents send their love. My parents, if you don't know my parents, they, they were leading this church, handed it off two years ago. And uh, they're with us now, which is, which is a blessing because when we, Rachel and I, prayed and felt God send us to go plant a church in Texas, uh, we were saying goodbye to uh, like this idea of ever like living with our parents close in proximity and, and you know, doing life together. And so we just kind of said goodbye to that dream um, because we were obeying what God called us to do. And the fact that the last two years that my parents have now come, so my sister, her family, my parents, uh, we're all in the same church together. Even my grandma's in the church with us. Um, so that is a blessing. That is just so rich. My parents are rocking, best community group in the church. Uh, my dad's always walking around the foyer saying, hey, do you want to come to the best community group? We have the best desserts, bar none. So... <laughs> um, so they're doing they're doing phenomenal and great so um let's get into it uh we don't have much time and i do believe that god wants to to uh, use me to encourage you so that's my big prayer god would you use me to encourage this community of believers would your spirit be here and so that's my great hope. And so as I was praying about what to share with you, I do believe that what I'm going to share is for you. It is an, a, a now appropriate word for you. So uh, our church, um, we just moved into a new building two years ago. And it's just an amazing God story. Like we could not afford this place that we're in. And like what we were settling for, what we were hoping for was way less than what we actually got because God's just so great and generous in delivering what we couldn't think, ask, or imagine. And so we, we've been in this great facility. We've seen our church grow pretty dramatically, more so than any other time in our history. And so um, the, the last several months, we've been jam-packed. The new building, which was way bigger, uh, we are jam-packed. And so as an eldership team, we were praying about, what do we do? Like, what in the world do we do? We just ask the people to sacrifice, to give big, and, and to give to this building campaign. And, and so then we built this building. Now, two years later, we're going to ask again for more money for another building campaign. And so it wasn't an insignificant thing to us. It was a pretty weighty thing. We didn't, like, as elders, I don't want to stand before the people and just keep on asking for money. Like, I want to know that God is in it, God's speaking to us, God's leading us to do it. And so it was a significant thing. All of us as an eldership team felt pretty daunted uh, to go before the people again and ask for money. Um, and so uh, several months ago, uh, November, December, uh, we started praying about it, knowing that we had to make a decision really quick. And one of our elders, he's a phenomenal elder. So eldership teams, they're, they're paying the price. They're doing all kinds of things. But if an elder is in the marketplace and continuing to serve, um, there's a special grace on those kind of people's lives. And, and so we have a guy named Chris Mayfield. And, and so what, here's what he did, how serious he took it. He's, he took off two days of work, two vacation days to burn. And he went away and he just prayed and fasted that God would speak to him about what we were to do. Like, I'm so thankful for an elder like that on the team, caring and loving our church. And so when we gathered together at the beginning of January to pray and to discuss what we feel God's calling us to do, he brought uh, this passage, Isaiah 58, to us. And immediately it struck a chord in our heart, and we felt like it was a prophetic word. There's a nounness to it. It's a prophetic word for the church. But I don't just believe it's for our church. I, I believe there's something happening right now in America. Uh, and the church in America. And I, I don't want to rail against the American church, but I, I do think it's appropriate and right to call out what's wrong in order that, and, and call the church back to Jesus' original intention. And I think we're right now in a moment like that. And I think what, what God wants to do is, is to awaken the church. We've seen Asbury and, and different pockets in our nation of just spontaneous, extended time of being in God's presence and worship. Like, I want to see more of that. And I, I don't want to miss it. I want to be part of it. And I'm sure your heart's the same. Like, God, if you're about to do something in this nation, we as a church, we as a, a, a follower of Jesus, we want to be part of it. We don't want to miss it. And so I think this picture that I'm going to share with you is a compelling picture 
of what uh, God wants to do. It's two pictures, and I think it's encouraging for us. So turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 58. I'm going to give some context, and then we'll get to the passage. Um, this morning is, is not going to be so much of an expository message where I work through a passage. It really more is a, a prophetic encouragement as we look at this passage. So uh, this Isaiah uh, 58, it's a prophecy uh, that was written by Isaiah as he speaks on behalf of God. And it's written to a particular people. It's written to a particular place. It's written per t for a particular time. So as we look at this prophecy, we could say that this passage wasn't written to us. But because it's God's word, we know that it doesn't mean that this passage isn't written for us. This, word, this passage has something to say to us because we are God's people. And God's word has eternal value in the, the same way that God dealt with his people back then is the same way that he deals with his people today. So we can say that um, Isaiah's prophecy rightly inspires more prophecy that's applicable for us today. And so I want us to just open up our hearts and say, God, what do you have to say to us? What do you have to speak to us in order that we can faithfully follow you now and what you are doing? So Isaiah 58 is this conditional promise. It's an invitation, but it's conditional. It's conditional on how the people respond to God's invitation. And so this passage is loaded with if-then statements. If you do this, then I will do this. If you will do this, then I will do this. And so what does God say to these people through the prophet Isaiah? He calls them to change their ways. That's what's happening in this chapter. He's calling them to repent. And here's what the people are doing. They're, they're, they're really good at looking religious. They're really good at going through the motions. They're, they're going to church. They are praying. They are worshiping. In fact, these Christians are so hardcore that they fast. I mean, they must be radical Christians. But God knows the condition of their heart. And through Isaiah, he says, your hearts are out of alignment. You're doing a bunch of religious activities, but you're living compromised lives. You're doing the things that God clearly has said not to do. You're not obeying God in all areas. The indictment against them is they weren't living righteous. They were mistreating people. They were participating in injustice and oppression. They were fighting and hurting and divisive with one another. They weren't taking care of the poor. They were doing a bunch of religious things. They looked religious. They looked spiritual. They looked impressive to each other. Man, you're like hardcore Christian over there. But God knew the condition of their hearts. And here's the indictment against them. They were seeking their own pleasure. Why was this happening? Why was there this misalignment in their heart? Well, Isaiah says they were seeking their own pleasure. They were about themselves. They were self-centered, self-focused. They were interested in what is good for them. They were concerned about their own comfort, their own comfort. And because they were concerned about pleasure and comfort, their lives were out of alignment. And so in response, God says, because of this misalignment, I will not hear you unless you repent, unless you bring all of your life under submission to me, I will withhold my blessing to you. I don't just want your religious practices. I want your obedience, your wholehearted devotion to me. I want you to bring all areas of your life into alignment with me. This is why we have these if-then statements. If-then statements. And we need to listen to this as followers of Jesus. Like the church presently right now, we need to listen to if-then statements. Now, some people might be like resistant to hear the if-then statements. Oh, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus has done everything. It doesn't matter what we do. Jesus has taken care of it all. And so Jesus isn't going to withhold anything from us. False. False. Here's the gospel. Jesus does save us. It's not our work, it's his work. He initiates our salvation, he sustains our salvation, he completes our salvation. Yes, it's all his work by his grace. But as we are begin a relationship with God, relationship goes two ways. And God wants us to respond to him in our new life in Christ in obedience. And there's consequences if we don't obey Jesus as followers of Jesus. 
There's if-then statements that are repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Here's one, John 15. We're told to abide in the vine. Well, there's if-then statements in that. If you abide in the vine, then what? You'll bear much fruit. If you don't abide in me, apart from me, you can do nothing. There is consequences. If we as followers of Jesus are not going to live in the new life that Jesus has provided for us by obedience to him, there's things that Jesus will withhold from us if we are not doing what he clearly said. So think about this. Like, let's just ask ourselves, maybe just begin to meditate and think. Are there things that Jesus wants to do in our lives and in our church that Jesus is withholding, waiting on a response from us? Like, I think we should deal with that. I think right now we should be asking ourselves that question. Is there areas that there's misalignment. Like, I'm engaged in religious practices, but are there areas of misalignment where I'm not totally devoted? And so, this isn't to beat us up this morning. This actually is an encouraging message. That's the, that's the context. Now let's get into the encouraging part. The things that I believe that God wants to do in us and in the church right now. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 11, here's what it says. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of waters whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Now... This is what I believe God wants to do in the church right now. And this is beautiful and amazing, and it's conditional. It's an invitation, but it's conditional on our response. So let's look at what I believe that Jesus wants to do in his church right now. First off, it says that we're a watered garden. I love this picture, a watered garden. It says springs of water whose waters doesn't fail. All throughout scripture, water is used as a metaphor for life. It's where the life of God is. And what God is saying is, once again, with my people, I want to be the source of life. Meaning that we're, the people of God are gathering where the garden is, there's life. There's the activity of God amongst us. So we're talking about what kind of church do we want to be? What's a good, captivating picture of the church? It's a, it's a place where God's presence is, where God's activity is, where people come in from the outside and say, oh my gosh, there's something different here. There's something different among you. God is surely among your, you, and it's undeniable. We want people to have an undeniable experience with God. We don't want to be a church that goes through the motions where we're pretending that God is really amongst us when it's not. We're, we're, we're pretending and manufacture and, and trying to hype up a bunch of energy and then labeling it God's activity when it's not really God's activity. No, we want the real thing. Like we want God's presence. Since we started as a church, we, we've had this consistent thing of people coming into our church saying, wow, I sense God's presence. Many people would have problems with our theological understanding that we're charismatic. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit and the presence of the Spirit. And they'd be like full-on hardcore Baptists. I'm not offending any of you hardcore Baptists. But they're like, I'm Baptist, but I'm coming to your church because I experience God's presence. It's like, God, do more of that. We want to see more of God's presence among us. Like I have a, uh, a new friend. He's been coming to our church. Like I was shocked. Like he's a well-known leader. You guys probably, some of you probably know him. He's coming to our church. I'm like, my, one of my elders said, like, this guy's here. It's like, why in the world would he come to our church? Like, just, like, shocked. And he's been coming. He's been burned. Gone through a super hard season. And every single Sunday, every single Sunday, he is just weeping. Not because the amazing worship or the, the beauty of the building, the amazingness of preaching. No, he is <laughs> captivated by the presence of God. God is ministering to him deeply. Like, that's what we want. God, do more of that. 
Like, do something that, like, we can't do in our own strength. God, we want your activity. Like, release your presence amongst us. We have a, the same elder that was a marketplace elder. He went and took days off. He, he's a guy that just is an amazing gift to our church. So he's always serving. He has his hand in everything, doing so many things. And so, like, his moment to get refilled and refreshed is to go paddle boarding. And we have bayous. You guys don't have bayous? We have bayous with alligators. And so he's just paddle boarding down the bayous, snapping pictures of alligators and loving Jesus and singing out as loud as he can, praise to God. That's like what he does to feel refreshed. And so difficult week, long demanding week. He finally gets a moment. He gets this little space before he's going to have dinner with his family. And uh, he gets his board out, just has a great session. And this guy comes to him panicking, just say, oh my gosh, I need help. Like I dropped my keys off the dock. I've been looking for him for hours. My phone is lost or locked in the car. We only have one car and I need to give my wife a ride to work. Like this is bad. And he's like, oh, it's like everything in me wanted to say, sorry, I got to go. And he just felt like, oh, okay, I'm going to help you. And so this very servant-hearted guy, it's like, I would not have done this. I've been sorry, buddy. <laughs> I got to go. Uh, so he, he says, come with me. Let's we'll come up with a plan. So he takes them. They go, drive to the hardware store. His strategy is we're going to get a big magnet with a stick, and we're going to find those keys. And so as they're driving, this guy just begins to pour out his life. He's all anxious and full of worries, the current situation, but just pours out his heart and finds out that their young daughter just passed away. Um, and they're living with the turmoil of that financial hardship, like the story, just a broken, horrible story. And he's able to express, start to express love. They get back to the dock with the magnet, with the stick. And, and Chris just says, hey, I'm a Christian. I believe that God works today. In our current situation, I want to pray that God helps us. So he prays, and the guy takes the stick, he puts it in the water, he pulls it out, and the keys are attached. The very first. <laughs> and so the guy's response was, I am going to go to your church. <laughs> and so he didn't come the next week because of car issues. He came the next week. And what we've already planned on preaching was I preached on what it means to truly be born again. And it was an evangelistic message. And at the end of the message, I, I, did, I said, we're not going to like create any manufactured response here. You don't have to close your eyes and grab your partner's hand and squeeze it if you want to give your life to Jesus. <laughs> so we're not playing any of those games. I said, if you are absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you know he's rescued you, and you want to tell everybody for the first time that you are saved, would you stand? And he stands up, first one to stand up, weeping. I mean, a bunch of, we had 10 people stand up in that service. It was just amazing. But I mean, that is the activity of God. I mean, there's so many steps in that story that we couldn't have orchestrated. That wasn't man's strategy. That was God actively working in this guy's life. And so we want to see the activity of God more among us. Like right now we have a, a rocking youth group. We have 200 kids on a Wednesday night. And youth-led worship passionately going for it. And the reoccurring theme is that they just keep on worshiping and don't stop. Passionately crying out to God for more of his presence. So like we're saying, God, we want more of your activity. So as a church, we're saying, God, we want to be a church that knows how to host your presence well. We want to be good stewards of your presence. We want to welcome you. And so we've started now worship sessions where people could come and just for an hour, we're just worship for an hour and they could come and we want them to experience God, experience God's presence because we know we need more of God's activity. We want to be a watered garden. And that's not something we do. That's something God does. So God, do it among us is what we're praying. So we're told that the people of God are, are like a garden. God's people are described. I, I love this picture because it's a different picture than, than oftentimes the church has communicated. It's a great metaphor 
I think. A garden is different than any old field because it has order to it, right? Like you're driving down the road. It doesn't take a genius. I'm horrible at gardening, but I know an empty field that nobody cares about versus a garden that's well taken care of because there's intentionality and there's design to it. There's purpose. And I could see, wow, that, that's a garden. That's just another old field. There's, there's definition to it. And listen, there's a difference between an old field and a garden, like we could tell, but the reason why a garden is different is because there's a gardener. And God is the gardener. Like, this is the picture that I think that we need to allow to just seep into our hearts and bring deep encouragement to us. I love it because it's so God-centric. So often we get overwhelmed with all the duties and tasks that we're supposed to do to make sure the church is going to do well, that we become very man-centric focused. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do to make all this happen? And I think God wants us to kind of flip the script and say, no, it's, I'm the gardener. I'm the one that is uh, carefully taking care of the, the, the garden. I am, I am organizing. I'm the architect. I'm, I'm determining where the, where the carrots go and where the potatoes go and where the tomatoes go and the turnips go. And like, I have a plan. It's my plan. I am taking care of it. I think this is a beautiful picture because God wants to do some amazing things. I think like we need to let God be the gardener in the church. Give God room to take care of us. Like he wants to weed out things in our lives. He wants to prune so that we can continue to be fruitful. He wants to remove the things that are harmful to us. He wants us to thrive. And like we, we want to embrace this. I, I love what this says about God because he's the gardener and I'm not. Like, I'm, a, I'm the leader of the church. Surely I'm like the, you know, sub-gardener. <laughs> you know what this, this metaphor tells me? Is that he's the gardener and I'm just a carrot. There you go. <laughs> and if you're part of gar the garden, well, you're, you're something too. Like, like, you guys are probably like the tomatoes. You look like tomatoes to me. Maybe you guys back there, you potatoes, and you're the turnips here. And then you can, we, we're all the carrots here. Yeah. <laughs> and and this, this, like, takes the pressure off me. Like, God knows what he's doing. I like to think, oh man, I'm so smart. I'm so wise. I got it all figured out. Yes, I have responsibilities to take care of, but what God wants us to know is that he's the gardener. He's going to take care of us. Yes. It says in this passage, he's going to guide us. He's going to satisfy us. He's going to strengthen us. God is going to do incredible things through us. And it's all his work and his activity. We just have to participate. There's so many people in this world, they're trying to find significance, trying to find their identity, try to find their value. They, everybody wants this, this deep desire to, I want to be known and recognized and I want everybody to think I'm special. Like the whole world is running around like this, you know, trying to find, you know, their, make their mark in life. Like as followers of Jesus, like we live in a different story, live, live in a different script. We're not people trying to chase and trying to find life. Now we've received life. Now we've been planted in God's garden. And like, I have limitations. I'm just a carrot for the glory of God. I mean, sometimes I wish I was a potato. Sometimes I wish I was a tomato. And like, I have to just understand like, I am who I am. I'm a carrot. And I don't want to work against, like, it would do me no good to work against God's beautiful plan for me in the context of Christian community. Like, the best thing for me is just to embrace who God's made me to be and enjoy all that God has for me as God continues to water this garden so well. So the context, the context that we see of this beautiful, well-watered garden is a scorched place. Look at verse 11. 
and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. The context that God wants to establish this beautiful, well-watered garden is in the midst of a scorched place. It's in the midst of a desert. It's in the midst of harshness of land, heat, and no water. God wants to establish a well-watered garden. Right now, if you poll most people, most people will say, man, as we look to the future, things are getting worse, not better. The future looks dim, not bright. Most people have a pessimistic view as we look towards the future. That's the current state and the current mindset of people in the world today. And what does God want to do? God wants to do something that only he can do. Like, how do we turn things around? We can't. But we as followers of Jesus recognize, hey, God, you're in charge. You give all the life that we need. What God wants to do is establish a beautiful, well-watered garden in the midst of a desert. In the midst of a desert. So people are going, man, I'm so hopeless. I'm so thirsty. I'm so miserable, dark, confused. And they see in the midst of a desert this beautiful, well-watered garden. And I think to myself, like, I, I need that. And that's what God wants to do right now. I think there's an incredible opportunity for the church to be the church, to kick against the hopelessness of this world and put our confidence in God and say, God wants to cause us to thrive in the midst of a condition, current condition of hopelessness. God wants to do beautiful things through the church. This is an opportunity for the church to rise. We don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be hopeless. We don't have to feel like we have to run to the hills, hide, and, and just protect ourselves. Now, this is the moment God wants the church to shine with his beauty. And I think we have an opportunity to lean into this. All right, you guys good? All right, let's look at verse 12. I love verse 12. Because it gives you four R's. You know, when you get alliterations as a preacher, this is good stuff. So, in uh, verse 12, we have rebuild, repair, restore, and raise up. And I think this is some of what God is wanting to do right now in the church. He wants to rebuild. He wants to repair. He wants to restore. He wants to raise up. So let's just go through these four, and then we'll be done. You guys good? All right, so first, rebuild. Verse 12, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Uh, for the people of God in Isaiah's time, this actually meant the rebuilding of the city, the city of Jerusalem. But what I believe, what God wants to build, rebuild is the church. Like in the New Testament, we're told that the New Jerusalem is the people of God. New Jerusalem isn't so much a place as it is um, God's people with God. And I believe that God wants to rebuild the church. I believe that he's calling his people back to him, back to his purposes. And we need to get back to what Jesus originally intended for the church. The systems and structure, structures that have been built that are contrary to Jesus' plan for the church need to be torn down so that Jesus can rebuild what he wants, his original intention. There's problems with the church today. There's problems with the American church, and we have to come to terms with this. There's practices and patterns within the church that are contrary to Jesus' intent. I can't help but think if, like, we did Star Trek, and, like, we took the early church, some members of the early church, as we see the church kind of grow in the early part of Acts, and we just take five of those members, and we play Star Trek, and we beam them up Scotty, and then we play some now in any average church in America today, and because it's Star Trek, we give them some translation device or something, and we just place them for a period of time in a local church, just for them to observe. And then at the end of it, like we, we come to him and we're like, what do you think? <laughs> like you guys started, you guys were at the beginning, 2,000 years later, look at us. Now, I, I don't think their response will be, oh my gosh, you know, congratulations. I do think they'll be confused. I think they'll be scratching their head and going like, what are you doing? Why 
Why did so much change? Where's Jesus in all this? The church has lost much of what it's supposed to be. And so many critiques can be levied against the church, rightfully. So many people's experience of the church has come from dysfunctional, unhealthy, unbiblical churches. I mean, I hate to say this, and I say this with humility, but most of the churches in my context are unhealthy, dysfunctional churches. And to spare some, I said, don't go to that church. Like, if you don't like our church, that's fine. Go to these two churches. Don't go to any other church. There's so many dysfunctional churches, and because people are in dysfunctional, unhealthy, unbiblical churches, they don't know what it's like to be part of a healthy church. And that's a big problem. I don't know if you know this, but the church in America is in radical decline. Uh, People are leaving the church in mass exodus. And this is a problem that we should all be aware of because we're Christians in America and God's given us responsibility, not only for Westside, but for the the church in America. We want to see a renewal, revival. And if the church is in radical decline right now, like there has to be ownership of this. We've got to be ringing the alarm bell and saying, man, something's wrong. Something needs to change. And we, as God's people, cry out to God and say, God, would you do something? Let us be part of a movement where we see the renewal of your church. I think the American church is compromised. Much of what we see in Isaiah 58, church was compromised. Spiritual activities but compromised lives. Their lives were out of alignment. And so much of what church leaders have taught has lowered the bar of what Jesus expects from his followers. And as a result, the church has suffered. It's weak, it's irrelevant, it's ineffective. So many church leaders have mishandled their position for selfish gain, for abuse, manipulation. They've stolen for their own gain. Like... Always, like every single week, we hear of another prominent pastor, church leader that has fallen morally for one reason or another. And the media loves to make that a spotlight in their news constantly. We want to see the compromised and unfaithful version of the church torn down. And we want to see God's pattern and purpose for the church restored. We want to see God's intent, biblical pattern, New Testament church um, restored in this nation. And we want to see a movement, not just of my church, not just of Westside. Man, we want to see God do something across the nation where all the churches are once again rebuilt, brought back into alignment with Jesus has intended. And we see a renewal and revival in our cities. This is what we want to see. We want to see churches that are biblical. Let me just kind of give you some idea of what I think a, a biblical church looks like and what we have to push against in order to be biblical. Uh, we need to be churches that have all of its members putting Jesus first, not celebrity pastors anymore, not celebrity Christians anymore, not church brands. We need churches that are rooted in the jo- gospel of Jesus Christ, not religious churches or pretentious churches. We need churches that are radically submitting to God's word, not questioning it, not compromising it, not making excuses for it. We need churches that are stepping out in faith, trusting God, trusting God for things that only he can do, not pragmatic churches, not man-centric churches. We need churches that are empowered by his presence, not manufacturing energy and hype. We need churches that are finding its confidence in God, not self-reliant leaders. We need churches that are expressing the love and grace of Jesus, not proud and arrogant Christians and churches. We need churches boldly proclaiming Christ, not Christians who are timid and reluctant and weak. We need churches who are participating together as the family of God, not just business model churches, not social group churches. No, we need the family of God represented where God is our father. We need churches where all of its members are rearranging and reprioritizing their lives around being the church, actively engaged, participating, serving, caring, sacrificing for Jesus and his mission. Not just church attenders who attend a meeting, not just church consumers. We, we need churches that are making much of Jesus, that are a compelling witness, not churches that are irrelevant. 
One of the sad things right now is many Christians dismiss the church as irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Man, we just need to see God turn the church around. And we can look at the current scenario. We can look at the current state of the American church. It could cause us to get discouraged. It can maybe even feel like we're defeated. But I don't want us to feel defeated. I don't want, want, I don't want us to lose our confidence because God is continuing to build his church. Jesus is faithful to his church. Jesus is not going to give up on his church. What Jesus started, he will finish. And Jesus will rebuild his church. And Jesus will see his church established as he has intended. And he's looking for a people who will follow him. So we can have a great deal of confidence in what God wants to do. We want to see God rebuild. God rebuild. I want to be part of a movement where we see God reestablish all that he's intended for the church. Second, R, and we'll go through these quick. Are you guys all right? My intensity too much? I'm looking at at a room of non-smiles. And and I'm so insecure, I need some feedback. (laughs) Oh, the carrots. I'm so encouraged by those carrots. Let's just form a, a community by ourselves. Just kidding. That was a test. That was a test. All right, here we go. Here we go. Verse 12. Oh, now the tomatoes are upset at me. Oh, man. (laughs) All right, verse 12. Again, second R. You shall be called a repairer of the breach. I think this, this just resonates with me as a current prophetic moment. This is what's happening. So think about it. Walls are necessary for the security of the city. Right? And back in this time, they were super important. It was the defense of the city. Without walls, the city would be left vulnerable. The city would be left vulnerable to attack. So imagine living in this context. What, how would you feel if the walls were open to attack? It would cause fear. It would cause insecurity. It would cause anxiety. With the breaches of the wall open, there would be per- perpetual fear. And I think this is, the, in large part, how the, the church is today. We've opened up breaches in the church. We've opened up breaches, and we've left ourselves vulnerable to attack. When the church, when the church leaders should be closing up the breaches in the wall and providing security for the people, we have left walls open. There are walls that are open where what is outside of the church is getting inside of the church. And and there's a whole spirit and mood of our current cultural moment, maybe for the last three years. just feels hopelessness and chaos and darkness. And we're going, man, what else is going to happen in this world? This world is chaotic. And fear is gripping everybody. Anxiety is gripping everybody. And if the breaches of the wall are open within the church, then what is outside is just going to flood in. And it should not be the case that the church is full of anxiety, insecurity, and fear. It shouldn't be the case because we have Jesus. And our great confidence is in him and nothing can thwart his purposes or his plan. No matter how dark it gets, we can constantly be full of hope, full of security, full of confidence that God is going to continue to be with us even in the darkest times. Like the zeitgeist of our culture has become the zeitgeist of the church culture. And and that should not be the case. Like we as the church need to rise up once again and declare confidence in Jesus. Like Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus isn't caught off guard with our current moment. He's not going, oh man, I prepared all the way to 2020. And then I, I, I thought it would just work out after that, so I haven't come up with a plan yet. God isn't caught off guard. Like he knows what he's doing. The beginning to the end, he has a plan. He will complete his plan. This is the God that we profess we trust in. It should change our character and demeanor. We have a God that we can place confidence in. We don't have to have shaken confidence. Third, restore, verse 12, the restore of streets to dwell in. Why do we need streets? 
We need streets because we need to connect with each other. Like the dream isn't to just like go up into the mountains and be isolated and alone. Like I don't need a street to my house. I don't want anybody to know how to get to my house. Maybe some of you have that dream. The whole idea of streets is that we can participate in life with one another. I could go to your house, you could go to mine, and we're all interacting and connecting, and we are participating as God truly intended us. Like, as things get dark, as people get more selfish, what stops is true community. But when the church allows God to be our gardener, and we're participating as he's intended, then all of a sudden true community exists. And he restores streets so that we could dwell with one another and we could work together. We could care for one another. We could truly be the people of God. And, and, and in doing that, we become a church to be put on display for a world that is hopeless. Like we become this beautiful garden that the rest of the world in a desert goes, oh my gosh, I'm tired of being in a desert. That looks so much better. We become compelling. The church is seen as irrelevant right now. Man, I think what God wants to do is totally flip the script. The church isn't irrelevant. The churches are your only hope. You're in the desert, hopeless without water. Look at what God can do. A well-watered garden. You are invited to come and experience the life that Jesus provides. Number four, raise up. Number 12. No, verse 12. The last point. You guys okay? All right, last point. You guys have been patient. Appreciate it so much. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. What is God wanting to do in Westside right now? I hope you asked that question. I hope, you're, I hope the only question, uh, your, your only question isn't what does God want to do in my life right now. I hope you're also asking the question, what does God want to do through us? Oftentimes, when we're doing the church work, we can get put our face to the ground and just focus on like the next thing, like um, like what's going to happen next week. There's Easter next week. Well, Easter's a big deal, so everybody has to rally together. We got a tent to put up. Man, we got to serve extra coffee. We got to get all the chairs set. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff to do. And so like we all buckle down and you guys are amazing, faithful people. And so you're going to make sure that next week is going to be a success. But oftentimes our focus, our view can just be like, man, we just got to get the next thing done, the next thing done. And there's, that's right. That's uh, church. It's hard work. But I just want to encourage us here. What God wants to do is lift up our eyes. Because what God wants to do isn't just, just for a week from now or a year from now. What God wants to do is 20 years from now, 30 years from now. So, I mean, I want to encourage you. What, what is God going to do through you over the next 30 years? Because this passage says that when God is at work, when God restores and he rebuilds and he repairs, what he does, in effect, is he builds a generation that can hand off to the next generation that could hand off to the next generation. So what God is doing amongst you, Westside, it isn't just to make next Sunday happen. It's what, what he wants to do through you. It's to build such strength, this well-watered garden, this beautiful garden that God wants to do. He wants to take all, us as a community. All of, it requires everybody to make this happen, which we provide a foundation we lay a foundation for the next generation to stand on their shoulders. And our young kids in this church are all experiencing the beauty of a well-watered garden. Like our kids are experiencing, wow, that's a scorched earth over there. I'm so glad I'm in the garden. Like I want to be here. Like in order for our kids to experience that, everybody, it's going to take in community. It's not an individualistic thing. It's every person playing their part saying what we're doing, what God is doing through us and amongst us is he's building a community that will be so solid that our next generation will be able to build upon it. I think that God wants to do incredible things. Like if you're thinking about the next 30 years, um, Joe's going to be a, a lot whiter then he's complaining about. I mean, his hair is going to be white. His eyebrows are going to be white. 
<laughs> I mean, 30 years is a long time. Some of you are older and thinking, man, you know what I want right now? I just want my life to get easier. I want to get more comfortable. I have a dream of being way up in the mountains with no streets to my house. And I, I just want to encourage everybody here. God wants to do something incredible. And no matter how, you're, how old you are, God wants to include you in what he wants to do. And for this church to build for the next generation, it requires everybody, no matter what your age is. Everybody rallying together and saying, God is doing something great amongst us. He's the gardener. I'm not the gardener. And all I am is a carrot in his garden. Sometimes I wish I was a tomato or potato, but I'm just a carrot. And I'm going to be okay being a carrot. I'm going to play my part. I'm not going to run and away and try to find life apart from God. No, I'm going to be rooted. I'm going to play my part so that God can do something beautiful, not only for my generation, but for the coming generations. This is what God wants to do. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this church. Thank you for Westside. I thank you for the leadership here. And God, I just pray, Lord, that you would bless this church. God, that your favor would shine upon this church. Thank you, Lord, that this church is a testimony of your faithfulness. This church is a testimony that you are a good gardener. And so, God, I pray, Lord, as this church looks towards the future, God, that you would continue to be a a flow of water, a spring that never gives up. God, pour your life into this church, your activity in this church. Pray, Lord, that uh, people would hear the call to be who you've called them to be in the context of this garden. God, would you do something incredible 30 years from now? Pray, Lord, that you'd blow people's minds. People would be saying and marveling that you have done things that they never thought, dreamed, or imagined because you're in control. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name.